This episode of the Short Side Option Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Manhattan Brewing Company. Manhattan Brewing Company is located at 406 Points Avenue in downtown Manhattan, Kansas. Quality, community, and education are Manhattan Brewing Company's three pillars, and we are super excited to have them back for their second year as the title sponsor of the Short Side Option Podcast. With nearly 20 years of collective experience in the craft beer industry, Jake, Adam, and Garrett are focused on brewing and serving high-quality craft beers in a family-friendly atmosphere in the heart of downtown Manhattan. Manhattan is their home, and they want to bring the best possible beer experience and education to the wonderful people of Manhattan, creating a place for everyone to come out and have a good time with friends and cultivate a craft beer culture that Manhattan can be proud of. Be sure to follow them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Brewing and their website at www.mhkbeer.com to stay up to date on all the latest events going on at the brewery. Some great stuff there. Now, D'Lo and I look back at K-State's 41-34 win against the Oklahoma Sooners and preview this Saturday's matchup with Texas Tech and 11 o'clock kickoff against uh, the Red Raiders at home at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. This is the short side option. Nice to have you with us here on another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. It's the icon of Steelu, and it's Kansas State 41, Oklahoma 34 in another road top 10 win uh, for the Kansas State Wildcats. No, well, I should say a road top 10 when they, they did it, of course, in 2020, but another time that Oklahoma's ranked in the top 10, another time K-State catches the Sooners, and K-State never trailed in this game. Uh, either had the lead or uh, was tied throughout the entire of this game. And quite frankly, D. Lou, you might have made the co- the comments. Maybe Sands uh, in, in that 2019 game, you could have made the the uh, the argument that Oklahoma was just running out of time, and they they if the game was another few minutes longer, they may have won. I think in this game uh, with K State and Oklahoma, K State was just simply the better team on Saturday, and really had a, everything working offensively. I mean, really from what you saw last week against Tulane to see uh, what you saw against the Sooners on Saturday, a much welcome sign for K-State fans. And uh, as K-State gets it going here in conference play, uh, they're going to need more of that here throughout. But let's talk about this one. What a game for it was for Kansas State. Yeah, it was, it was a great game. I mean, all the talk about Adrian Martinez, kind of his emergence and, and his – vast improvement over the first three games. Uh, that's true. Deuce got his. I mean, did what, what we can expect for him, even though it was a little tougher sledding for him against yeah. Oklahoma. Uh, but the defense, too. Um, you know, they... Uh, I, I thought the defense played pretty well, save for a couple busted coverages. But on, on the night as a whole, I was impressed with the defense um, coming up with some key stops. But... All in all, to your point, it was a wire-to-wire lead for K-State. I thought K-State completely, you know, on the whole outplayed Oklahoma. Uh, In the prior wins, there was a big special teams play or maybe a big turnover or something that helped shift things. But in this one, it was K-State just 
lined up, took Oklahoma's best shots, and uh, gave it back without without any, you know, quote unquote cheap stuff. Uh, so no, it was an incredibly impressive game. One of my favorite K State games ever. I think. I mean, just in terms of the heroics from Adrian and it being in Norman under the lights, it was just a fantastic game. Yeah, the lights were in and out though throughout the night. And I think we might get a, we might have a few questions about that here a little bit later on. But no, you're absolutely right, Dilu. It was a really an inspiring performance for Adrian Martinez. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't help but feel tremendous for him after the game uh, with with how he's you know uh, taking in all the emotions here, kind of going on the road, being a top ten team on, on a nationally televised game. You know, so much has been made about his past at Nebraska, never being able to kind of get over that hump there. Uh, to have that opportunity and to do it at Kansas State, obviously a huge thing. And, you know, I want to go back to, I mean, obviously that's the story of the game, is Adrian Martinez. And, um, you know, so so much has been made about the first three games. Ha- the play wasn't there. You know, there's the heart-to-heart with Kleiman and, and uh, uh, Colin Klein. All that is has been well-documented. But, I, and I said this to you off-air, you know, if Jake Rubley or Will Howard go out there and have that kind of game where they they run and pass all and have that same kind of performance as Adrian Martinez did, that would be legitimately shocking. Now, you see some K-State fans say, oh, wow, this, this performance from Adrian Martinez is, you know, I, I would never have expected this. And, and frankly, it was a surprise, I think, to everyone just having, having seen what he did in the first three games. But with what Adrian Martinez has done in his career and the kind of player he was, Drew, I don't know if this is out of line for me to say, but that's kind of what I expected this year from K-State. Maybe not quite to the the 165 yards I think he had on the ground here. I'll, I'll pull it up here. Uh, 148 on the ground, 234 through the air. Not necessarily that maybe uh, high of a statistical game, but in terms of what he brought to the table – that's kind of what I expected from uh, Adrian Martinez and this Kansas State offense. Seeing what we saw against Oklahoma gives me a lot of hope that this is uh, what this K-State offense is going to look like through the remainder of the Big 12 schedule. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great point that this was kind of what we all expected, and and that's why the first three games, was, especially the Tulane game, were such stark contrasts to what our expectations were. Um, you know, the, the beat on uh, Adrian Martinez coming into the year was, you know, we watched him all play at Nebraska. It's feast or famine. It's, uh, you know, one play he'll make a great throw, and the next play he'll make a critical fumble and lose the game, blah, blah, blah. Uh, whereas uh, in the first three games, he was neither. He was neither hot nor cold, neither feast nor famine, just ultra, ultra safe. But what we saw on Saturday uh, wasn't the Feaster fame. It, it, it wasn't the Adrian Martinez at Nebraska, and it wasn't the Adrian Martinez we've seen through three games at K-State. It was just great play. I mean, it, it, you know, we, we on Saturday, I don't know if this was running through your mind or, or not, but I'm sure it was running through a lot of Nebraska fans' minds. It was running through my mind, and I wouldn't be shocked if it was running through Adrian Martinez's mind of kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop, you know, where, you know, the ghost of Christmas past is, is going to rear its ugly head here eventually. And through three quarters, Adrian Martinez looks like a legitimate all-Big 12 quarterback, all-American, you know, in the Heisman-type 
dynamic player, and you're just waiting for that, okay, when's it going to happen? When is he going to make a just brutal turnover? And it never happened. In fact, his game only elevated as, as it progressed through the fourth quarter, culminating in that incredible third and 16. And so that, I think, is the real story. It's, it's yes, we saw Adrian Martinez be dynamic in this all-world playmaker on Saturday night, but that's not necessarily shocking. What's shocking is how safe and level-headed he was with football uh, while all that was going on. And so, if sure, it, it was surprising. It was different than what we saw the first three games, but I think the biggest surprise is that he was able to play at that level, get his real, you know, his first and biggest win of his career all while not turning the ball over. And through now four games, K-State has one turnover, which was an Anthony Frias fumble uh, with a minute left against Missouri. And that, if K-State can continue being safe with football while getting, I mean, not even the level of play we saw from Adrian Martinez on Saturday night, but something in the neighborhood of it, then this K-State offense is going to be really tough to stop. Absolutely. 100%. Can't disagree with the word that you said there, Dell. And, you know, really with what you saw from... Adrian Martinez, I thought you also saw some some really nice play from our wide receivers, too, helping him out. Uh, I thought, you know, really with what you saw, Ben Sinek. I mean, him being a, a guy that is a big target in there in the middle of the field. Uh, a guy that I think kind of, out of one side of our mouth, they're saying, man, why is this guy necessarily being targeted and in, in being out in these pass routes? Well, I guess you see why now a little bit. And uh, Malik Knowles, I thought, had one of his better games providing a big target, that catch down on the goal line for his touchdown. Uh, tough catch in traffic uh, right there. You love seeing that from him. And that's kind of an aspect of his game where you look at what this K-State wide receiving group has. He is the most equipped to, to be kind of that red zone target uh, with, with his size and his physicality. So you look forward to maybe seeing some of those, uh, to seeing some future steps there too. Um, in that, but let's go ahead and dive into this game, uh, shall we, big fella? Let's do it. All right, so K-State, on their uh, first two drives, gets six points, and, and they race out to a 14-0 lead. Now, Oklahoma comes back and answers uh, with, with two touchdowns, and, you know, as, as we're kicking the ball off, or as Oklahoma's kicking the ball off uh, here a few minutes into the second quarter, feels like momentum's kind of shifting a little bit. Uh the K-State offense has stalled the last couple drives, going three and out uh, on two straight drives. And then I think a kind of a sneaky play in, in this game when you look at it, Malik Knowles having a big punt return, or a big kick return, rather, uh, to get the ball, to get K-State the ball in good field position. They go down, promptly score a touchdown there uh, to get that offense kind of back humming. thought that was a huge play, really, in terms of getting that offense, getting back going again. And, uh, you know, really was just a whisker away from breaking that all the way to the end zone. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I mentioned earlier that there was no special teams touchdown, but that play by uh, Malik Knowles, um, you know, when K-State was leaking water a little bit after a couple big OU touchdowns, offense had sputtered a little bit to get the ball on, I believe, the Oklahoma 42-yard line after a 58-yard kick return. Uh, that went a long way in getting K-State kind of back up off the mat and giving them a chance to regain the lead. Uh, and so, yeah, it, great for Malik Knowles. Um, I thought he had one of 
his best games in a while, and that kick return was a was a huge play. Now Oklahoma answers that touchdown after K State takes a touchdown lead to cut it to twenty one seventeen by kicking a field goal. Then K State goes down and gets a field goal right before the break, which I thought was a really uh, impressive drive to get down there and, and get. I think you know you made the comment when we were watching it that. That was the best end of the half field goal that you think you can ever remember, K-State, going out down there and driving the length of the field to get. And uh, they go 10 plays, 70 yards, take up uh, the final 247 there. To get a field goal, to keep that touchdown lead uh, going into halftime, uh, and that was a big play. And, you know, one thing, too, I want to mention, uh, a guy that has not been anything from a sure bet so far this season, and that's uh, Chris Tennant, you know, making his field goals, nothing really all that challenging. But uh, was able to uh, to come through when he was asked to to do so, and uh, you know his efforts should not go uh, unappreciated in this one either. I totally agree. I mean, it's been a little bit of the Chris Tennant experience so far through three games, where you know he missed some extra points, yeah. he missed some field goals. In a Grand Missouri game when he missed some field goals, you can't really blame too much for that. But I believe he missed at least one field goal against Tulane, uh, made one as well, but. Um. Yeah, he was nails on Saturday. Not a lot asked of him. Nope. I mean, nope. sure. he had a 23-yarder before the half. Uh, and 29-yarder, I think, otherwise. So chip right. shot field goals, but those have not been necessarily a, uh, a foregone conclusion here previously and kind of all also in his career here at K-State. I mean, he's had kind of some inconsistency even in those shorter field goals. So for him to come up huge in those situations was uh, certainly uh, – Certainly not to be uh, to be discounted. At yeah, all. no, it, it made all the extra points, and in a game where K State wins by seven points, every one of them matters. Absolutely. So let's hop in here to uh, some other guys. Deuce Vaughn. What what does that guy not do? I mean, there there's more instances, and I know Brock Heward was you know really uh, raving about what Deuce Vaughn's able to do in the. Uh, as a pass blocker, you know, with his size, Oklahoma was bringing pressure really throughout the game and, and was certainly taking, I thought, a concerted effort in jamming up the middle of that line to really saying, you know, Adrian, we're going to make you beat us. And, and he was able to do that on Saturday with what uh, I thought, not only with Deuce Vaughn and, and pass production, but the offensive line, I thought, played their best game so far of this young season, especially after you know, kind of a an abnormal performance, if you want to call it. Uh, certainly a down performance against Tulane, where, you know, you think Tulane was seeing, we were kind of seeing some, some of the same things from Oklahoma as we saw with Tulane. Really committing to stopping the run, really, you know, daring K-State to beat them throwing the ball. Offensive line really was able to stand up to that, and, and Adrian Martinez and his wide receivers were able to take advantage of that too. But I thought the offensive line certainly uh, had a great rebound performance here against Oklahoma. I agree, and the you know I'll, for at least a few drives there, it was without their best player uh, Cooper Beebe. Uh, yeah, it, it guard Dawson Delforge getting the uh, nod to come in and and replace and spell uh, Beebe while he got uh, high graded, but. On the whole, I think the offensive line did a pretty good job, um, you know, especially uh, in the pass protection where, you know, 
Deuce Vaughn pitches in there a few times to uh, do a great job chipping uh, some of that pressure up the middle. But really, in the pass protection, uh, when Martinez dropped back, it was, you know, you got to give a lot of credit to Adrian Martinez for, and it's something he's done great all season, I think, of stepping up and climbing up in the pocket and, and kind of feeling the pressure and navigating through it. And when it was time to run, he'd run. When there was an opportunity downfield when he was pressured, uh, I thought he made pretty good decisions on the night. Uh, you know, one that comes to mind is the pass to Warner uh, when Martinez is on the run. It was kind of a tricky ball to catch, and, and Warner ultimately dropped it there about 15, 20 yards, yep. 25 yards downfield. But in a, that may have been the, his most impressive throw of the night. But uh, regardless, yeah, I mean, you, you saw Brent Venables really trying to dial up the pressure against K-State and Adrian Martinez, and that's going to be the, the, the blueprint, right? I mean, because teams are not going to let – they're going to do everything they can to let anybody besides Deuce Vaughn beat them. And credit to OU uh, defensively, uh, I thought they did a pretty admirable job of – containing Deuce Vaughn on Saturday, especially in some of those zone uh, gives where, you know, we saw a lot of carries for Deuce get stopped either at the line or, or a yard or two behind the line. And it, when he could kind of get through that first pressure, that first layer, uh, it got into a little more chunk plays, anywhere from 7 to 15 yards for the mm-hmm. most part. But if you can keep Deuce contained where his – bright spots or seven to 12 yard yeah. carries, then good job. I mean, yeah. Deuce ended up getting um, 116 yards on 25 carries. Yeah. And so pretty efficient job there by the OU defense and credit where that is, but uh, not so great a job containing Adrian Martinez, which is, you know, the other side of that coin when you devote so much attention to Deuce and you say, we'll make, make anybody besides Deuce beat you. Well, you can do that. You can make that decision, but that's a recipe for giving up 234 yards in the air and 148 yards on the ground to somebody like Adrian Martinez. Um, but all in all, offensive line, I thought they bounced back very well after the Tulane game, um, especially against a, a front seven that's pretty darn talented. You look at it, you look at what Deuce was able to do: 116 yards, 25 carries, a long rush of the day of 22 yards. You know, you mentioned it. He was kind of living in that, you know, 5 to, you know, 12, 15 yards was about, I mean, 22 yards was his longest run, but really most of it was kind of coming in those kind of chunks, those 7 yards, 12 yards, you know, for a longer run for him. For his 116 yards, that might have been the hardest 116 yards he's had in his career Yeah. in terms of, you know, not only was he, um, Oklahoma, I thought, was making a really concerted effort to really try to punch the ball out and, and force those fumbles. Ball security from K-State was tremendous. Uh, I noticed it not only on Deuce Vaughn and Adrian Martinez when they're running the ball, but also with our receivers out in space uh, going to punch it. I know Ben Sennett had one where he's kind of dragging some guys, and, and they're definitely trying to kind of hold them up and strip it, stripping at the but ball. While they're doing that, he's continuing yeah, to move upfield against exactly. seven yards. So, I mean, those uh, ball security, we mentioned that, you mentioned that earlier. A-plus there for K-State. I mean, having gone through uh, four games now with only one garbage-time fumble from a third-string running back as as the uh, the only turnover so far. So, you know, really when you look at that, kudos there. I want to also point to um, 
Well, actually, let's go ahead and break down kind of the second half because this is going to kind of lead into uh, so, some other points that I kind of want to make. And, gosh, Oklahoma, I, I, I know uh, we were watching the game together. I mentioned third quarter. You know, that has been a kind of a bit of a sore spot for, for Chris Kleiman and Kansas State here through his first couple years at the helm is third quarter seems like where we haven't quite made those adjustments as quickly. And coming out of halftime, uh, opposition has outscored us and taken advantage of us there in, in, in the past. You know, you look at what that was able to to look like here in this game, and I, I'm pulling it up here. Oklahoma gets the ball to start uh, the second half. Eric Gray for 11 yards. Eric Gray for 17 yards. Another one-yard rush for him. Then he catches a pass out of the backfield for 19 yards. And then this is the part I want to get into. Some self-inflicted mistakes here from Oklahoma. Yeah. Whether if it's a holding, pre-snap penalty. I think they had four false starts uh, in the game against Kansas State, which at home, you don't expect to have one, much less four. And uh, that helped kind of K-State get K-State back into a little bit of a more advantageous spot with where they're at against the sticks. And also really just set Oklahoma back. Um, Oklahoma is able to... Uh, only get field goals uh, on drives where they look like they're going to be marching uh, up and down the field in you know seven or eight plays for for a touchdown. You know, really, when you look at it, in Oklahoma's first two scoring drives, one is a product of Omar Daniels just getting beat on on a deep ball. The other one's a blown coverage. Other than that, it's you know, a field goal for Oklahoma. Now, granted, you can't just play that game necessarily. The blown coverage, I'm not overly worried about. Omar Daniels getting beat by one of the best receivers in, in the comp, in the conference. Not overly worried about that either. Uh, when I see what K-State did defensively for giving up 500-some yards and giving up 34 points, I feel like the defense played pretty well. And uh, they were put in some, some tough positions where they were having to, to stop Oklahoma uh, and kind of in that bend but don't break style. Uh, but we're able to do that and able to also turn Oklahoma over on downs in the in the third quarter, or in the fourth quarter, rather, that I thought was a huge play, of course. So let's go ahead and get into that a little bit. With what Oklahoma was able to do in the third quarter, able to run the ball really well to start off both of their first, uh, their first two scoring drives uh, going down there. I thought that Oklahoma maybe got a little bit of a, away from that running game, and I think a lot of the reason what caused that to happen was pre-snap penalties getting put behind the sticks by, by their own self-inflicted wounds, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, there in the third quarter, you saw something really developing, and it's kind of a tough spot because there in the first half when Oklahoma was getting their touchdowns, they came on what seemed like just enormous pass plays. I mean... The first touchdown, obviously, the pass to uh, to Theo Weiss for 56 yards. Uh, their second touchdown coming on a bomb to Mar- Marvin Mims. Um, and really just kind of this firework show sort of offense from Oklahoma. Um, and then you saw them really have some success on the ground as the second half uh, got underway, and it's, you know, you sit there thinking, okay, we can really feel comfortable firing away downfield. We're getting, you know, 
probably there in the first few drives of the second half, they were probably averaging about eight yards a carry. And it's almost like an embarrassment of riches, but all of a sudden you, you get a third and two, and uh, then you get put at third and seven, and you, you feel a little awkward about running the football uh, on, on a third and seven. And so some really unbelievably costly penalties. I mean, on the ninth, Oklahoma penalized uh, 11 times for 87 yards, which is more than average. I mean, but it's not necessarily an, an absurd number. But the point at which those penalties came, especially the pre-snap penalties, just really inopportune for Oklahoma. Um, and turned touch, potential touchdowns and field goals. I mean, that takes four points off the board potentially. And, um, in a one-score game, that's huge. K-State ran 83 plays on Saturday to Oklahoma 73. I, I can't imagine many times where K-State, you know, over the last 20 years has ran more plays than Oklahoma in a game necessarily. Uh, just with how Oklahoma runs quickly and uh, oftentimes scores quite a bit, you know, with how, how they operate. I thought, too, the tempo probably – when I say the tempo, the tempo for Oklahoma – Helps kind of out with, with maybe those busted coverages getting going a little bit too quick uh, for, for K-State's like not being able to necessarily get everyone on the same page. Uh, and hard to substitute. Hard to substitute. And then you also see, though, at the same time, those penalties slow you down. They, they don't allow you to, to, to have that same tempo as they had success in the first half. And I thought that, that was another huge point, too, that what those penalties do – not only do they set you behind the sticks, but they don't allow you to go as quickly because the stoppage in play. Thought that that was really meaningful, and I think Oklahoma has to look at this game and say there's some things that we have to clean up going forward, and I expect that they will. I think Oklahoma is probably, right now, the Big 12 is wide open. Top four teams, I think, are, are Oklahoma, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, and Baylor. Probably throw Texas, maybe Texas Tech into that second group. Maybe maybe, maybe KU. Yeah. Uh, at this point, the Big Twelve's wide open. Uh, I don't know really where that that all will shake out. Only time will tell on that. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how things kind of go here for the remainder of the uh, uh, the remainder of the conference season here. And I wanted to also point to you talk about substitutions. Yeah, that might also have been the play of the game on a fourth down. Where well, there there are two plays that stick out to me, and both on fourth down, fourth down and one, and I believe it was at the end of the first half, if memory serves me correctly. Oklahoma's lined up to go for it on a fourth and one, a false start by the right side of the offensive line, uh, forces them to have to kick a field goal. They probably picked that uh, picked that up, and I believe it was on that last field goal drive, uh, they end up. Um, having to kick a 41-yard field goal to, to let K-State still have the lead there, and then we're able to go get the field goal to extend it back out to seven. That was a huge play. And then the big play, the substitution, uh, where they uh, substitute out, I believe, a running back and maybe a wide receiver. Oh, now K-State's got to have some time to substitute. So Nate Matlock, I think this was the only time he even got on, on mm -hmm. in between the stripes, uh, gets to go in there and uh, jog on in. Forces Oklahoma into a delay of game and uh, forces them to punt the ball away. Well, and you heard the Oklahoma fans booing at that, but listen, that's the rule. And if 100, 
if there was no way to blame for Oklahoma but themselves because I think they made the substitution with about they made the decision to sub with about 17, 18 seconds left on the play clock. And that's too late. I mean, you cannot, you, you can't do that unless you are going to be ready to snap the ball the second that official says you're okay to. Um, and so credit to climate because, you know, the other time that I recall something like that happening for K-State was all the way back to Stanford game in Arlington last year where uh, a similar scenario happened where, you know, late substitution and our defensive linemen, we decided, you know what, we kind of want to make a personnel change too here. Let's put our (laughs) defensive end who's injured into the game for this play. But you know what? That's the rule, and it's a credit to Kleiman for being aware and a credit uh, credit to the team for – Making sure that that's something we have in our pocket, and, and that if you if you try to pull a substitution like that late, then you're going to pay for it. Because what do you do if you're Oklahoma there? I mean, it's almost worth burning a timeout. I was surprised they did, because at that at that point, uh, felt like that was the right move to make, and they uh, they choose not to. That causes a delay game penalty where they end up punt the ball back, and it goes in the end zone for a touchback, netting them. Probably, 25 yards. Uh, yeah, 20, 25 yards of field position. So, huge play for Kansas State there, and, and that's one that I know is going to definitely stick out to fans uh, of, of both K-State and Oklahoma as a, certainly a turning point in that game. One other thing I want to mention, too, and this is on the K-State side of things, just to kind of some of those hidden hidden yardage things, there was a play where uh, Phillip Brooks on a little bubble screen. Yeah, I know, I know where you're going with this. Looks like he's going to lose two or three. He ends up getting getting five or six yards off that. Just and then there's the face mask yep. uh, later on as well. Uh, those are those are big plays. Now that face mask came after I thought a cheapish uh, illegal man downfield, where uh, we get a nice play uh, called back uh, off of that. So when you look at what that, some of those just hidden yardage, some of those just small things make a huge difference there for Kansas State and. I thought really at the end of the day, you really could boil this game down to K-State was cleaner, and uh, that was ultimately the difference in the game. Yeah, well, if there's one program that's going to be just absolute hawks on K-State illegal man downfield, it's Oklahoma. Yeah, they've gotten burned by that a few times. Yeah, because uh, I think there's been a few Winston Dimmel, Blaine Gronkowski uh, RPOs from some K-State quarterbacks over the years that have... uh, Possibly had an offensive lineman more than three yards downfield when the ball was thrown, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, just some that that Philip Brooks face mask where he makes a guy miss uh, behind the line of scrimmage, uh, strong play to get upfield, and making that first guy miss gives the opportunity for the second guy to make the face mask because if he doesn't make a great play kind of behind the line of scrimmage, uh, then that second guy doesn't have the opportunity, and it turns what was an already impressive six- or seven-yard gain into a uh, 21-yard gain. So we go back. So it was after the the uh, the substitution that, that forces Oklahoma to punt. K-State drives down, gets a field goal uh, to move it to 27-20. K- the K-State drive kind of stalls out inside the Oklahoma red zone. On that third and eight, uh, Martinez has Sammy Wheeler 
in the end zone. That po- that ball was probably the closest one he had to get intercepted. Uh, I think the one where Malik Knowles. Well, no, Malik. There no issues there. Make Malik strong safety if we need him. Hey, that was that was a he that was, was pretty strong safety. That was there. one of the most impressive hits of the season. And that was. Really, that one to Sammy Wheeler, that one was a little bit of a – that was a tough pass because you have to get it over the linebacker and the – I believe there was a linebacker covering Sammy Wheeler. And he also uh, is able to get his hand in there. Kind of a – maybe needs to be a little bit firmer of a pass there. But Martinez probably didn't think the safety was going to be there. And and quite frankly, not really that big of a deal. I think he had Philip Brooks on a slant. Uh, inside, and he thought the safety was going to be shading Brooks, and the safety darts over to the middle of the field and makes a great play on the ball. But I don't. I think that Martinez wasn't anticipating that uh, safety being there. K State settles for a field goal there, and then with a twenty-seven to twenty lead here, as we get into the end of the uh, of the third quarter, you could say the play of the game in a lot of ways. Oklahoma's got it fourth and three at uh, K-State's 39-yard line, and they go for it. Gabriel gets some pressure in his face. I believe Drake Stoops is lined up on Omar Daniels, I believe, and enough pressure to force a wide throw, but a throw that I think Dylan Gabriel uh, and Drake Stoops connect with nine out of ten times. Enough pressure was there to make the throw a little bit wide. K-State takes over uh, there. They aren't able to do anything offensively. Uh, they go three plays and out. But they force another Oklahoma punt. And uh, K-State is able to get that lead back out to two touchdowns on a 15-yard uh, touchdown run by uh, Adrian Martinez. They had K-State fans feeling pretty good at that point. Two-touchdown lead getting late into the fourth quarter. You're in pretty good shape. Yeah, and I thought that that touchdown run he had was uh, fantastic. That's one of the plays that gets overshadowed in this game. But that was just read option to a T, um, where he has the option to give to Deuce. He pulls it out, and he pulls it out so quickly. I, I got fooled, um, and before you know it, Martinez uses his just really impressive straight line speed to just dart field to get north and south immediately. And, and I'm just going to interrupt you real quick. That straight line speed, we haven't seen it for, through the first three games, but you saw it at, at Nebraska, where this guy, if he gets in the open field, he can take it the distance. Yeah, and he is a long strider and is faster than he looks. And uh, he was able to, to easily on, on that plane, we saw his, his real speed really take, take, uh, take shape a little bit later in the game. But with what he did run the ball, tremendous. Yeah, yeah. No, I thought that that was uh, extremely impressive run there and a great play call. And that's, again, it's what we expected this offense to look like. A, a lot of read option where it's, you know, shades of, you could, L. Roberson and Darren Sproles have run that play similarly, you know, scores of times uh, back in 2002, 2003, and uh, worked for K-State on Saturday night. Oklahoma comes down, answers with the scoring drive, with about four and a half minutes left, gives K-State the ball back. Let's get right to it. Third and 16. And what a what a moment, because they, uh, I forget what the circumstances were, whether 
Somebody called the... Oh, yeah, Oklahoma called the timeout after second and 17. That, yeah, that's when they or, used the uh, first timeout. We had, a, we had a penalty to go move us back. Uh, so, first play of the, of the, of the uh, drive, we get Phillip Brooks. He gets the, gets the face mask, first down. Then we go uh, Deuce Vaughn for two, penalty, second and 12. Uh, then, the, or excuse me, second and 12 is when we get the, uh, the penalty. So now second and 17. Deuce Vaughn for one. Sets up third and 16. Oklahoma has used their timeout, their first timeout, I should say. Third and 16, 239 left. Adrian Martinez takes off for 55. Yeah, and that that timeout, that commercial break, it seemed like it lasted forever because you and I were talking, like, what do you call here? And I remember thinking, you know, I I won't be mad with anything. I'd like for us to... At all costs, avoid an incomplete pass. Sure. Um, you know, we thought maybe screen, maybe something, kind of a shallow pass. This is a play where I wouldn't have minded us throwing short of the sticks. But uh, it, when I saw Adrian was going to take off and run, at that point I was like, okay, good. Because there's not going to be an incomplete pass here. That's the worst thing that could have happened. Um, and then I thought, you saw him approaching the first down marker and you're thinking... Well, holy smokes, we're, if he could just get, by hook or crook, get this first down, and we're first down away from the game being over. And then all of a sudden, he takes 55 yards, 60 yards, and, uh, and the game's over. <laughs> you get the sense that the game's over anyway. But uh, like we talked about earlier, that was the play that really showcased what Adrian Martinez can do and, and his speed to really punish defenses and something that uh, we saw throughout the game, but that play, uh, absolutely the culmination um, of, of the game and the biggest play of K-State season so far, and really the single biggest play um, in the last few years that, that really stands out is kind of a, an iconic uh, play for Kansas State. No question. I mean, so K-State goes five wide in that play, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Pretty much... A four-vert concept. I believe you had the outside, because you had Deuce Vaughn split out wide, uh, the widest, up to the bottom of the screen. And then I can't remember, I think it was Malik Knowles at the top of the screen. They run about like a, what would be, I mean, it's third and 16. They run about what looks like to be about an 18-yard curl to to come back. Everything else is, is continuing on down the field. So, You've played some NCAA football. Mm-hmm. When you have a mobile quarterback, four verts, and hey, if everyone's covered, I'll just take off and see what yeah. I can do run the ball. Uh, that was essentially the play call here. And, yeah. and, I, and I don't think it was necessarily you know, a design quarterback run by any stretch. Uh, you know, it, was, it was a pass play, but I think you know, the, the conversation with Adrian Martinez said, we don't want you to necessarily throw an incomplete pass here because we don't want to stop, stop the clock. We don't want to – if worse comes to worse – Take a check down if that's in the in the playbook here, so to speak. Make them use that, uh, another timeout, and we'll punt the ball back and, and hope to, that our defense can hold on here. Uh, but as you said, as soon as he got going out there, uh, it wasn't necessarily just a first down after once he got past the line of scrimmage. Once he got past the line of scrimmage, he had one guy to beat, really, essentially. And uh, once he did that, uh, everyone else was far enough downfield to where 
you know, he's able to either make a guy miss or just use those angles to outrun people, which he did uh, on that particular play. You talk about an iconic play. That that tur- turn, once he gets to the sideline and gets upfield, there's, I think, a, a screen grab out there where you can see a little bit of a smirk on, yeah. uh, on, on number nine's face, and for good reason. He gets it, and he also even stays in bounds there, uh, which is he, he slides in bounds yeah. to uh, stay. The yell leaders were kind of getting after him there, which, uh, you know, is all fun and games. But K-State's able to catch that off there uh, with uh, Adrian Martinez running power uh, just on, on second and goal there. And that gets the lead back to uh, to two scores in case state uh, doesn't have any issue. I mean, OU is able to go down and score, uh, you know, with about, what was it, about a minute and a half left. Uh, I believe they scored in, uh, when K-State got the ball back, there was 40 seconds left. Yeah, so K-State gets the ball back with, with 40 seconds left off the onside kick. Kane Warner covers that one up, and it's a victory formation for the Wildcats to cap off a 41 34 win over Oklahoma. Yeah, and, you know, you talked about the, the smile on Adrian Martinez's face as he's running down the sideline, and that is the stuff, man. I mean, that is what college football about. is. I mean, here you have this, I mean, what an incredible story. This guy who spent four years losing up in Lincoln, Nebraska, in shouldering all the blame for this bad team. And, you know, you've read the stories about him playing with Broken Jaw last year, his professors being total jerks and, and making fun of him in class, and him just kind of being the scapegoat for this just sick program up in Lincoln. And then he comes down, and on national TV, on Fox, he's had a rough first three weeks, and we were talking about last week whether, you know, do you have or would they have a short leash on him this week, this sure. and that. And here he goes and plays the game of his life. And he is just essentially secured the win. He's the player of the game, and he is barreling down the sideline. And you just, I, I can't imagine what was running through his head there. And just the pure euphoria of, this is why I've been doing this. Um, it's, it, it's truly the romance of college football. I mean, it's, it's sure it's, it's a big upset win K-State and Oklahoma, but the subplot of Adrian Martinez, his redemption story that is so uh, encapsulated by that one play is just magnificent. I mean, it's, it's why we're fans. And I, you almost, you, it's just fantastic stuff watching him run with that smile on his face. Oh, absolutely. It's just, what it's all about. I mean, that it's those moments that you just are so happy for these guys and their stories. And, uh, yeah, that's that's something that I don't think uh, K-State fans are going to forget anytime soon. I, I think that's perfectly said, uh, Dell. And, and, you know, let's go ahead and, and kind of close the book on our offensive talk here. Let's hop into the defense. You know, K-State's able to make the plays. And I think that's what it comes down to. Both game and when we were getting into that second half, you know, and it's kind of trade field goals in that third quarter. You know, Oklahoma is able to move the ball offensively. You know, on the ground, you know, at a pretty good clip. K State's able to to make some plays to to keep moving the ball down the field when they have the ball on offense. It felt like whichever defense gets that big play, whether if it's a 
a, a turnover or, um, you know, a couple plays that you just get them behind the behind the the sticks to make them get get a get a punt to make you know one team have a have a short field coming back. Thought the defense. I thought whoever was going to get that turnover was going to win the game. That turnover never came. Yeah. And uh, really, what K State's defense did make the plays. I talked about it earlier. That uh, fourth down call with Drake Stoops. Enough pressure uh, up the guts here on Dylan Gabriel. Forces him into a wide throw. I mean, you know, Oklahoma goes for it here. I'm going to get that pulled up real quick. Oklahoma goes for fourth down two times. K-State goes for it two times. K-State gets it twice. Oklahoma goes one of two. That that turnover there on downs, on, on that fourth down, Drake Stoops incomplete pass, that kind of served as a play. I mean, yep. in, in, in some ways there. So defense... Let me get your thoughts on maybe what stood out to you in that regard. You know, I it's hard. I think the defense did a pretty good job against what I think is a pretty good Oklahoma offense. I mean, sure, Oklahoma they've they've had some uh, spots this season where they they've looked pretty mortal. Uh, they kind of screwed around with Kent State in the first half, uh, only taking a. 7-3 to three lead at halftime against Kent State. But I think Dylan Gabriel, as he continued on, I mean, I think they looked darn good against Nebraska. I think they looked darn good against us, too. I mean, on the whole, and that's kind of what's so got to be so perplexing for Oklahoma fans, is you look at their numbers and they say, okay, well, where did we screw up? Okay, well, we had zero turnovers. That's pretty good. We had 550 yards of offense. Pretty darn good. Um... You know, we had 8.5 yards per pass and uh, 6.5 yards per run on the ground. Uh, K-State's defense, I don't think they played that great. I mean, I think after, except for when they didn't, they did a pretty good job of limiting the explosives. But um, they they really just forced OU to take their time most of the night, aside from the, the, the big yeah, plays. absolutely. And when OU had to take their time, they just weren't quite as effective because they were getting those procedural penalties and, and the pre-snap stuff. And I think K-State was bailed out quite a bit with that, but it's hard for me to say, oh, I think the defense played great, because I don't think they did. Um, I mean... Yeah, I think anytime you give up thirty-four points and five hundred some yards of offense, you can't really give a give an A plus rating there necessarily. But you you talk about what Oklahoma likes to do, and it's a Jeff Levy offense that what you saw at Ole Miss and what you've seen from him previously at other stops it is the tempo, and you know really what it it goes back to this part here of the of the start of the third quarter. I felt like Oklahoma got a little bit too far away from running the ball, and, and that's really what you know. You hear, you see these hurry up, no huddle type offenses. Most of those are, are predicated around the passing game. With Jeff Levy, he really is a run first guy, and I thought they got a little too far away from that in, in this game against Kansas State. That goes back to those those penalties and, and just not being able to keep that tempo the way they would have liked to. Uh, so you well, look, and playing from behind and playing from behind a little yeah. bit too. That also because the clock when you're down two scores, you know you kind of have to. Even if you're getting six and a half yards of carry, it's like we need, we need a little score. more. Yeah, yeah, and you know I think the t- 
time and score and also self-inflicted wounds limited some of that tempo that, that I think Oklahoma would probably prefer to be at. Uh, you know, two guys that I want to point out. Kobe Savage, he was Big 12 Newcomer of the Week this week. 11 tackles. 11 tackles, 8 solo. And, you know, he's one of those guys that does bring the lumber kind of from that safety position, but plays clean back there in terms of, you know, I, I kind of liken it a little bit, and it's easy to compare it to um, – you know, a former K-State great with Jared Cooper, you know, a guy that is a big punishing hitter. He's maybe a little bit more in kind of in the in the mold of maybe the TJ Smith where, yeah, he's able to come up and thump a little bit, but you worry about what TJ sometimes does in coverage. Kobe Savage has played really a, a solid defensive back in terms of not getting beat over the top, but also still having, uh, trusting his eyes coming down coming downhill there. I thought Josh Hayes played another great game. Uh, with what they ask him to do, oftentimes covering maybe that nickel uh, position in, in those four and five wide uh, receivers uh, sets where he's being manned up in, in some situations when K-State is playing man coverage or bringing an extra guy in the blitz. So I thought he played really well. Uh, but those two guys stuck out. Julius Brents, another really solid game, nine tackles, one of them behind the line of scrim- or one of them behind the line of scrimmage for a tackle for loss. Really a nice game for him. I thought the cornerbacks, Played pretty well, except uh, you know there's the one situation where uh, Omar Daniels gets beat right. and in the busted coverage. But defensive back wise, played within the scheme, made tackles when they needed to. Yeah, and I don't want to sound like I'm being extremely critical of the defense. I, I mean, I think that this Oklahoma offense is really good, and I think they played really good on Saturday night. I mean, you look 550 total yards. I heard a stat that said Oklahoma in its history has lost two games when they've put up 550 yards. One of them was on Saturday, and the other one was against was in the Robert Griffin uh, oh, game yeah. back in... Uh, 2011. Yes. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think this was K-State defense's best performance. Didn't really do a great job hurrying Dylan Gabriel all that much, I don't think. Uh, I think they were a little leaky in pass, protection, or pass coverage, and... Uh, the run defense was left a lot to be desired, I thought. On the other hand, this might be the best offense in the Big 12 that we faced on Saturday. Sure, you can I mean, easily make that. Well, I, I think you can probably, I think you can almost guarantee that. Uh, yeah, at least in terms of explosiveness. Well, I don't think there's a question there. Time will tell how good this Oklahoma offense is, but they're pretty. I think they're pretty darn good. And uh, holding them to 34 points, even if it did come on the back of some timely penalties. Um, I think that's, at the end of the day, you hold that offense 34 points, I think they're going to score 34 points, more than 34 points a lot this year. Um, and so on the whole, I think K-State's defense played good enough. They forced punts. They kept Oklahoma to field goals at times. They didn't want field goals. Um, and that's the name of the game. But uh, I think K-State's offense was uh, the heroes. Because if I tell you last week Oklahoma's going to score 34 points, I'm saying I don't think K-State's going to score 35 no. Um, and if you tell me K-State's going to score 41, I don't think it's going to be a one-score game. <laughs> no, sure. And so the the defense uh, wasn't quite as good as I expected them to look on Saturday, but I may have just been underestimating Oklahoma's offense. Because I think, I think Dylan Gabriel, I think, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think this Oklahoma offense is, is really good, and it's going to be a handful for a lot of defenses this year. But uh, 
on the whole, I, I, I think they played fine. I mean, you see guys like Austin Moore continuing to do his job back there. God knows when or if Will Honus is ever going to play football for K-State. Uh, but also guys, you know, it's coming to kind of these ancillary type guys. Nick Allen got a lot of time on Saturday, and I don't think he was a total liability back there. Uh, your boy uh, Uso Sayamalu coming up with a couple yeah. of back-to-back pass deflections. I, I think he's going to continue to see some more time, too, and I think it's well-deserved. And I think it's a uh, it makes me feel slightly better uh, because I sweat every time I think about what our team is going to look like next year. But, um, you know, he might be our answer at, at nose tackle for, uh, for the future. Uh, but definitely flashed. Uh, again, it's... I, I still have a lot of faith in our in our cornerbacks. I I think Omar Daniels was not equipped to be guarding one of the best receivers in the Big Twelve, um, and he got burned. And that's just kind of how it is. And yeah. when I saw it, I was thinking, "Good Lord, like why isn't uh, Echo or Julius Prince there? Yeah. Why is why, 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 why are they lined up there? On the other hand, it's like well, it's hard to ask them to play seventy five snaps." Like, sure. Uh, and so they're going to need to get spelled sometimes. And credit to to Oklahoma and Dylan Gabriel for for picking on somebody who is probably just not cut it, not cut out to, to be in that spot. But uh, so on the whole, I think the defense played adequate. But I expect them. Uh, I expect this to be one of the highest, if not the highest, yards they give up this year. Five hundred and fifty. Let's. Um... Let's kind of transition here into wrapping this sucker up and, and looking at Texas Tech. Um, I think we mentioned this maybe off air a little bit uh, last week. A little bit of the shades, and this time a winning effort for K-State, uh, to, to what we saw in terms of a coming out party. Uh, from what you saw from L. Roberson in 2001 to what you saw with Adrian Martinez here, not necessarily a coming out party in terms of his career, because he's had these kind of performances before, uh, but at least a coming out party in terms of his Kansas State career. Uh, I see some similarities between those two games where where this guy, you look at this guy w- with what you looked at El Roberson back in 2001 and say, holy cow, if this is what we can see, can get from this guy going forward, K-State's going to be a really tough team to beat. Yeah. And I think... He, you have that same feeling here as we enter the rest of the uh, the 2022 season. Uh, here, here as Adrian Martinez uh, and the Wildcats uh, try to keep it going. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. If Adrian showed why he is heralded, he showed why he's valued, and he showed why he showed K State fans that he is the dynamic playmaker that we expected him to be. And after three games here, we were all kind of wondering where this guy was. And credit to Adrian Martinez for uh, showing up and, and doing the Adrian Martinez thing where he goes out and he makes big plays and he takes chances and punishes defenses. But again, I think the biggest testament, something that, that Nebraska fans never really saw, was him put that kind of game together when and not have some enormous critical mistake late in the game. And uh, on Saturday night, we saw Martinez's develop, his play just 
continue to rise as the game progressed. And so, um, an unbelievable performance from him. And to your point, it's, yeah, if Martinez plays at that level or anything close to it, then all of a sudden this K-State team that I think has one of the top three defenses in the conference, all of a sudden has a really, really tough offense too. And, um, yeah, no, I, he plays at that level. Sky's the limit for this team. Well, let's go ahead and uh, put a bow here on K-State's 41-34 to win over Oklahoma. A huge win for Kansas State. One of the You mentioned one of your favorite K-State wins, uh, you know, since you can remember, uh, so to speak. And I, I'm right up there with you uh, in terms of what uh, the level of the game you saw, high level of competition, both sides. K-State was just the better team on Saturday, and I think that's something that K-State fans can – uh, really take solace in and, and really say, you know what, the sky's the limit here for this team as we, we progress here throughout conference play. So let's go ahead and get into it. We had a big win this week against Oklahoma. So did Texas Tech against Texas. Yeah. Uh, a big win. Two teams coming in here undefeated in Big 12 play. And uh, you have a really kind of an interesting matchup. First-year head coach with Joey McGuire at Texas Tech. I know you've been kind of breaking down the Texas Tech film. That's been your assignment this week. What what is what is your film study yielded you? Uh, well, Texas Tech's kind of a they're kind of a fun little team. You know, uh, and, and I have to say too, with Texas Tech, I mean they've played as tough of a schedule here through their first uh, four games that you could ask for. Murray State kicked off the season uh, 63-10 there. Texas Tech rolls without any any trouble, but then the next three games that they played. We're against all top 25 competition at kickoff. Uh, a 33-30 to win over Houston. They drop one 27-14 on the road in, in Raleigh, North Carolina against North Carolina State. And then last week takes overtime again for them, and they, uh, they beat Texas 37-34 in a game that had all sorts of drama there. Texas Tech gets a field goal to to seemingly win the game. Texas Tech or Texas goes down and, and scores within 20 seconds uh, with a field goal to tie it and send it to overtime. First play of the game, uh, first play of overtime. You feel like Texas has all the momentum. Uh, their best player, Bashad Robinson, fumbles the ball. Texas Tech's able to uh, to k- capitalize on that, kick a field goal, and win the game. Uh, field storming takes place there in Lubbock, and uh, they're coming to this game riding high, uh, and, and for good reason. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting old tech team. I think we start out offensively, it's it's the Donovan Smith show, um, because that guy is uh, a handful. He uh, He's just got great size. He's 6'5", uh, 230. He can see the entire field, and he's looking. He's always looking. I, I, I was talking to you before trying to figure out Donovan Smith, and he's a guy that uh, is totally YOLO. I mean, he's a little bit like uh, kind of got that Nebraska Adrian Martinez thing going where he is he can make every throw. He, he's incredibly talented. He's got a big arm. Uh, you'll see him throw a lot of those passes, those 10-yard outs to the far boundary that are really hard for college quarterbacks to throw, to, to make. But he'll do that a lot on Saturday, and he'll complete a lot of them. Um, and he'll throw it downfield, and he'll throw it on the run. Uh, he's he's fast enough. He's 
he's not going to make you miss, but he can run right by you. Um, but he's far from perfect. He's He will uh, make throws he shouldn't make and have interceptions. He threw interception. He threw pick sixes and back-to-back games against NC State and Houston. Um, and he'll take sacks because he is uh, not got the best pocket presence. He uh, he can scramble. He can be mobile back there, but no internal clock on Donovan Smith. Where he, I, I've never seen a quarterback get sacked so much when he just is not expecting it. Because usually quarterbacks yeah, kind of sure. sense, sense the pressure. But this guy takes, his, you know, against NC State and Houston. Uh, interestingly enough, didn't I don't believe he got sacked against Texas. But NC State and Houston, they were just brutalizing the poor guy. Now, uh, like I said, though, the offense pretty much runs through him. Um, against Texas, he threw for uh, 330 yards had 42 yards on the ground, and that's been pretty much uh, par for the course, those sorts of numbers for him. Against NC State, a little more pedestrian against a good defense, 21 of 36 for 214 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions. Um, And then against Houston, which was another incredible game, already two overtime games for Texas Tech. Yeah. his numbers in that one were 36 of 58 for 350 yards. Texas Tech ran 103 plays against Houston. Texas Tech against Texas uh, runs 100. 100 plays. Holy cow. Yeah, Texas Tech is averaging like 93 plays per game. Now, they've had two overtime games, so a little bit of extra football there. Yeah, sure. But this continuing at this pace, I'm going to be on pace guy here for a second. Continuing at this pace, this is the team that runs the most plays in college football history. Um, I think I was looking it up earlier this week. Like there have been like three teams in history that have run um, more than ninety plays a game, and uh, Texas Tech is running like 94, 93, 94. Um, and so, Texas State's eighty three plays I last know. week looked pedestrian. Holy we're, cow! We're talking about this. Well, for K State, it is. Yeah, because. Last year, K-State was running about 57 plays per game. Um, but in any event, the, the Texas Tech offense, it runs through Donovan Smith. They will uh, they will run the ball, too, and they'll do a pretty good job of it. Uh, K-State fans probably remember guys like Sir Roger Thompson, who's been at Tech for, seems like a while now. He's a, he's a senior. Kind of a stout, 6-foot, 220 back, who, who isn't going to burn you. But he's going to beat you up, and, and he can do some good things back there. Taj Brooks uh, is another running back for him that gets quite a bit of carries. He's 5'10", 230, so, so another guy who can kind of be a bruiser. And then uh, these Texas Tech wide receivers are are pretty good, and they have some pretty darn good size, too. That's always seems to be the scouting report on Texas Tech wide receivers. It's not only, you know, one, you should be able to attract a pretty good – you know, caliber of prospect at Texas Tech in terms of, you know, a guy that's going to be able to get some opportunities in, in, in the ball game there. And um, whether if it's with some big guys that they've had, I remember they had Jason Morrow as a tight end that they would move all over the field, creating those different kind of matchups. Uh, you see that here with this Texas Tech team. Size out wide, that's a staple of Texas Tech, and, and it certainly is the case here. 
uh, in this 2022 iteration of the Red Raiders. Absolutely, and you talked about uh, the tight end. Dixack has a pretty good one. Uh, Baylor Cup, a 6'6", 250 junior uh, who came up quiet games through the first three, but against Texas, puts together four receptions for 65 yards and a touchdown. So he can do it. Uh, the main target's going to be Miles Price, who's one of the wide receivers that doesn't have much size. 5'10", 180 out of the Colony, Texas. He had a huge game against uh, the Longhorns last week. 13 receptions for 98 yards. Um, big game out of him. But then the two main giants, Trey Cleveland, uh, 6'4", 190, and J.J. Sparkman at 6'4", 220. So these these guys like uh, Omar Daniels uh, that we talked about, uh, those secondary kind of corners, they're going to have their work cut out for them because, like I said, Donovan Smith, he will throw it from boundary to boundary and from here to 60 yards. Um, and there's going to be opportunities for K-State to, to punish him when he makes the throws he shouldn't, and he will. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll see. Um, you know, you've seen some teams pin their ears back and, and rush at him and, and try to get him to screw up. Uh, and I think that that's probably the best bet, only because you let a guy with his size just stand in the pocket and be comfortable back there. Um, he can see the whole field. And, and he could survey, and if he's if he has time, he'll he'll punish you, along with the good wide receivers. So I, I expect K State to, to bring some pressure on Saturday, and I really expect Felix needs to yeah have a game um, because I think the name of the game is pressuring Donovan Smith and and kind of seeing whether he can make the throws to beat you um, or whether he's gonna screw up because it seems like just about. Two or three times a game, he makes uh, terrible decisions, and and it just kills Texas Tech. Yeah, and it's imperative that K State does make him pay for those uh, ill-advised throws. And and you know when you were going through your scout report there of Texas Tech, and Donovan Smith likes to hold on the ball a little bit. He likes to maybe pocket presence, maybe not not the greatest. My ears perked up. So that sounds like the perfect game for Felix Anaduke, Zama, Nate Matlack getting back, uh, you know, back to game speed here. You expect him to be kind of a full go here this week, but guys like Jaden Pickle, Khalid Duke, uh, Eli Huggins on that defense. Robert Hintz. Robert Hintz was getting good pressure against Missouri. My man, Uso. Maybe so. Uh, ha- has a chance. I think this is a game where K State's defensive line is really going to be relied upon uh, to be able to get that pressure with three. Uh, to where K-State doesn't have to devote those resources to get that pressure necessarily on by sending you know four or five uh, guys in, in extra blitz packages. I don't know any reason why K-State shouldn't be able to get some pressure with you know whether if it's with three or four rushers. Uh, I look for K-State uh, to be uh, making Donovan Smith uncomfortable, and I also look for them to kind of vary their looks. You mentioned you know what's the best way to go about attacking this? Is it going to be by bringing pressure and getting him a little bit uh, off skelter, not being able to maybe trust what he's seeing out there with with the different looks that that he might be seeing, I think that you have to kind of you know do a little bit of everything, blitzing off the corner, uh, you know maybe some some middle blitzes uh, where where you get uh, Austin Moore and uh, and Daniel Green involved in the package, 
But I really think that the secondary has to show some improvement this week. From what you saw last week uh, where Oklahoma was able to kind of catch us out of alignment uh, and maybe with some not advantageous matchups out there, that's got to be shored up against Texas Tech because they are going to run at a similar tempo. And with uh, with what Zach Kitley does uh, in his first year coordinating that, uh, that Texas Tech offense. Now, you may remember Zach Kitley from what he did at Houston Baptist uh, a few years back. I didn't know he ever left. And then he went to Western Kentucky. And Bailey Zappi, who I believe set the all-time record for most passing yards in a season last year, excuse me, at Western Kentucky, this guy is, is now calling, or uh, Zach Kittley is now calling the shots at uh, Texas Tech, where he uh, had spent some time at before uh, as a graduate assistant. So familiar with this program. This is the Air Raid Texas Tech offense that you remember under under uh, under the Pirate, uh, Mike Leach there, swinging yeah. his sword. So you're going to see some very familiar uh, you know, Texas Tech kind of what they're doing formation-wise and with their schemes offensively. And it should be another great test for K-State when you go against Oklahoma last week, one of the highest-powered offenses in the country. It doesn't get a whole lot easier this week uh, with Texas Tech coming to town. Yeah, I, I think Texas Tech a little less efficient than Oklahoma, uh, a little more prone to turning over the football. Uh, but it'll be an, what I think should be a great matchup for this defense uh, in the secondary and the pass rushers. I mean, I think that this is the type of offense – uh, that K-State's defense should have some success against. So I think it's a an air raid offense that's going to put pressure on the secondary, but I have faith in the secondary. I think it's an air raid offense that uh, is going to give a lot of opportunities for the pass rush, whether it's bringing three or whether it's bringing delayed blitzes because, like I said, Donovan Smith, he'll sit back there. Um, but it's also a, an offense that's, going to put some pressure on assignments in the linebackers, whether it's getting matchups in space and, and finding soft spots in the zone, and then punishing linebackers who aren't paying attention to the quarterback because Donovan Smith can definitely run the football too. And so, um, I don't know, I, I think it'll be interesting. Um, and then, it's an area offense, but they're not, they still run the ball and they run it pretty well with yeah. uh, with Sir Roderick Thompson and, and uh for all the talk, for all the talk that we do about what uh, Texas Tech does offensively, so so far here through four games, about a 60-40 clip in terms of run to pass. Uh, so maybe not quite as as lopsided of a uh, distribution there from what you see from pass versus run. Uh, I know under the Leach teams it might have been more like 75-25 or 70-30. Uh, so you might see a little bit more uh, of a sprinkled in running game. Let's go ahead and talk about this Texas Tech defense. You know, for as long as Texas Tech has been playing football here in the Big 12, not necessarily been their calling card. Uh, this Texas Tech defense, coordinated by Tim DeRuiter, who's been a uh, who's been around the Big 12 here for some time. I know he was at West Virginia here previously. He now finds himself out in the West Plains of Texas. I really like where K-State should be able to have some success in this game. Texas Tech's giving up five a little over 5.1 uh, yards per play, nearing 5.2. I think this is a, uh, a Texas Tech defense that I don't think necessarily gives you too much concern. Uh, but when you look at what K-State has to do offensively, I think what you have to do is, you know, it's as simple as saying, hey, let's just rerun that, uh, 
take what we did against Oklahoma and uh, continue to, to, to do that with the sharing the rushing responsibilities between Adrian Martinez, Deuce Vaughn, in the, in the read and the power game. I also like to see K-State be able to get a lot going on between the tackles. It's tough sledding against Oklahoma. I think the sledding will be a little bit easier here against Texas Tech this week. You know, I'm going to hit you with not a so little fast. however. Yeah, not so fast. This Texas Tech run defense is, is pretty good. I think their they're front, they run that kind of three-man, what our friend Ian Boyd calls that flyover defense that is all, all in vogue in the Big 12 right now where it's a three-man front. Uh, but you, you look at what they've done this year against you know Houston and NC State and Texas on the ground. Houston, three yards per carry. NC State, three yards per carry. Texas with Bijan Robinson and and the Hudson Card and, and these great uh, this high power running offense five yards a carry so some pedestrian numbers against Texas Tech and I think it's you know having watched the games I think it's a credit to Texas Tech's uh, defensive line because they're pretty good at the the point of attack and and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw kind of like how OU did if if there's you know five ten plays where Deuce gets bottled up for no gain or, or a short loss on the play. But the soft spot in this Texas Tech defense is their secondary. And so I think that uh, really I, I don't love the matchup for K-State's offense because we talk about, well, K-State wants to face bad rush defenses. That's that's the most beneficial thing. Um, now, that said, their secondary is, when I say they're soft, I mean they're, they're soft. They are... Uh, not great in coverage, but they're really not very good tacklers either. Um, I forget which game it was. It was the NC State game where you can look up highlights from that game, but the NC State running back with a name that I can't pronounce, he uh, he peels off the edge. He, he gets by the defensive line and, and peels out. And Texas Tech's secondary just had no interest in even attempting to tackle him on, on the boundary. And, and there was an opportunity for a guy to push him out at the five-yard line, and the guy, you watch a play, the guy gets out of the way. <laughs> like, and so uh, Deuce has that ability, and we saw it on Saturday night, where he can get make a guy miss in the backfield and, and get to that second level, and he'll do it pretty pretty frequently, um, you know, where it's we take it for granted at this point, but it's he has some of the best 7- to 12-yard carries that you've ever he seen. It almost, you could almost make a Heisman tape of of his 7 to 12 yard carries uh, where he's able to leave a couple of guys uh, grasping it air. Yeah, well, if he does that on Saturday, I don't think they're going to be 7 to 12 yard games. I think they're going to be a lot bigger chunk plays. And so, um, again, I, I think it's going to be if, if Deuce can get past that front, that initial layer, whether it's three or they're five with the edge guys playing close to the line and get into that second, third layer of the Texas Tech defense, I think he's going to have some huge carries um, and, and really punish him. And, and the same is true for Adrian Martinez. So while Texas Tech, I think they have a really stout initial point of attack on defense, it's hard for them to be just a brick wall the whole game. And if, if Adrian Martinez and Deuce Vaughn can get past them, then it's definitely greener pastures. And Adrian Martinez, for all the uh, progress he made against Oklahoma, I think... I would expect that to continue through the air on Saturday because, um, you know, I think this tech, tech defense is interesting because they're not 
complete pushovers. They they have a legitimately impressive front uh, defensive line, but beyond that, I think it's that's when it gets uh, a little juicier. And so I think guys like Malik Knowles, guys like Ben Sennett in the seam uh, can have big days too. Last week, Texas Tech, you could point to their game against Texas where they won the game. They won the game by going for it on fourth down. And there were a few situations. I mean, look at you look at what Texas Tech was able to do. Six of eight on fourth down, able to uh, extend drives. I believe they were, gosh, they were going for it, I believe on their side of the 50 with about Eight minutes left, down by two scores, had to pick it up, and they uh, and they do it. And, you know, really with what you look at, you're going to have Joey McGuire, uh, the head coach here for, uh, for Texas Tech, not being afraid to be driven by the analytics. There was a, uh, an article sent to us by one of our, our loyal listeners, uh, Nick Ward, who uh, mentioned that Joey McGuire really leans on those analytics. They have a, a, a book that they go by that uh, talks about expected win probability gain by going for it, win, win probability for punting it, win probability if you don't get it to what if it is if you do get it. So going to be some, something to keep an eye on. Uh, you know, with K-State, they've had – I don't think Chris Kleinman's necessarily afraid to uh, – to roll up the sleeves and go for it in no. certain situations. You saw that against Tulane. Uh, now, saw, it, saw it against Oklahoma. Yeah, and so I think you're going to look at, honestly, which defenses may be able to get off the field on some crucial fourth downs. I think Texas Tech will probably be a little bit more aggressive in pushing the envelope there than maybe what you see from K-State. Uh, but that's something to keep an eye on because Texas Tech's gone for it a lot already this season, and uh, they're certainly not afraid to, uh, to continue that clip. One guy I want to talk about on the Texas Tech defense, Tyree Wilson. Okay. He's, talk to me about Tyree. He is a, uh, an edge guy who is going to be playing on Sundays. This guy is an absolute monster. 6'6", 275 pounds. He, he could be an offensive tackle. Uh, he's had three sacks this season. Two of them came against NC State. But 27 tackles already. Uh, I think Christian Duffy and KT Leviston are going to have their work cut out for him uh, trying to contain Mr. Wilson because uh, he's going to, he, he's a load. He, he's an impressive looking guy when he gets off the bus. And uh, he's big and fast and just the prototypical uh, NFL type defensive end that's just a nightmare for offensive tackles. So um, I think. Whoever's on him on a particular play uh, gonna have their hands full because tackles, I think they've held up okay. Yeah, um, you know we talked about a little bit before the season the decision to move BB inside. Um, you know it hasn't been a disaster at tackle by any stretch, but we'll see. Uh, I think they're going up against their best defensive end uh, they've played so far. Uh, this week, or, or at least their best pass rusher. I don't know whether you want to call him an end or an edge guy. Kind of in that Khalid Duke role. Um, but definitely an impressive, uh, an impressive, imposing figure for Tyree Wilson. I want to go back here to uh, the analytics. Uh, Joe McGuire coached at uh, Baylor before coming to Texas Tech under Dave Aranda, who has set Dave Aranda 
has said he is a hundred percent analytics in their decision making on whether to go for it on fourth down. So that kind of is nice because you can just kind of wipe your hands and say, "Yeah, nah, don't blame me. Don't blame me. Blame the analytics. Blame the algo." But they get it from this place, and I, I was fascinated to read this. Championships Analytic Incorporated, a firm based out of Atlanta, Georgia, that gives this playbook. That you, know, you sign up for this service, and it gives you this playbook of, hey, this is what the numbers tell you. And to outsource that part of, uh, of coaching to you know, a bunch of backwards hat wearing, you know, eggheads. I just like the idea that there's like, an old timey like machine basically that prints out on like that old paper with like the holes in the side. Yeah. yeah. And they're like <laughs> punching in the numbers there. Yeah. Uh, all right. There's four minutes left in the third quarter. We're up by three and it's a fourth and seven from the opposing team's 46 yard line. And it's like blowing smoke out, yeah. <laughs> like diesel fuel out. You kind of, kind of, I assume that's how your algorithm for stuff. Well, it is. is. Yeah. yeah, it's how so my you should, you should know exactly how that works. But uh, <laughs> Joey McGuire's like, come on, and it's like got a dial, like an old internet like modem. Dial up, yeah. <laughs> so that's gonna be something to keep an eye on. Well, they they went for it what like six times against Texas. Eight times against Texas, Holy picked smokes. up six. And, you know, that was really what won them the game, is uh, being able to pick up those downs. Now, some of that was dictated a little bit by time and score to where it was kind of no-brainers. But an aggressive team should be a fun matchup here for Kansas State and Texas Tech, 11 a.m. at Fort Snyder. Well, and to your point about time and score, like, there, there weren't really that many crazy go-forts on fourth down for them against Texas. I mean, it's, it's not like – I forget – who the team was a few years ago, whether it was Delaware or like... Uh, oh, I think it was Presbyterian. Presbyterian, yeah. yeah. Uh, but they just go for it every time. Yeah, so it's not quite that extreme. Like, they're not going to go for it from their own 25-yard line in their first drive on a fourth and eight or something. But uh, they are on the aggressive side on, on fourth down. Let's get to predictions. What do you what do you see unfolding uh, in Manhattan on Saturday? 34-21 Kansas State. I think uh, I think K State's offense figures out a way to take advantage of, of the leaky back end for Texas Tech, and uh, I think the defense uh, and maybe gets a score for the defense too. Um, I think Deuce Vaughn has a uh, a feast or famine type day where it's uh, he's either. Stopped at the line, but I wouldn't be shocked if he had some of his longer runs on the season on Saturday. Yeah. Um, and I expect we're going to need Adrian Martinez to be effective through the air, uh, only because I really respect that initial point of attack for Texas Tech. And and the, if there's uh, sensitive spots for Texas Tech, it's it's definitely the quarterback uh, punishing him. Um, but like I said, I don't think this Texas Tech defense is a turnover. This is or pushover type team. It's not quite as Mike Leach, Leakey, is, is some of his teams. Um, and on the defensive side, I think K-State secondary answers the bell. I mean, it's another game where it's not that different from what they faced last week, but I do think it's a step down where uh, where uh, Donovan Smith um, is not Dylan Gabriel. He's 
He's not the decision maker. He's not as precise on his throws. He's going to throw a lot more incompletions than, than Dylan Gabriel does. And he'll have some bad balls, and I would expect K-State to, to win turnover battle comfortably on Saturday. Um, all that said, I, I think this Texas Tech team is pretty good. I think they can do some good things on both sides of the ball. But a little bit reckless, and I think, you know, it's cliche to talk about K-State just lets the other team beat you. Or the, when teams play K-State, they beat themselves. And I don't think that was necessarily true on Saturday. Uh, you could say Oklahoma had some untimely penalties. But this Texas Tech team is the type of team that can beat itself. And uh, they've been fortunate against Houston and Texas coming up big in overtime. But what we saw against NC State, I think, is kind of what we'll see on Saturday, where it's Texas Tech offense that can't keep drives together, gets turned over a couple times, takes some sacks. And I think ultimately K-State comes out on top 34-21. to We see the game pretty similarly. I like K-State 31-24 over the Red Raiders. And, you know, when this line came out, K-State was favored by eight points. That seemed a little high off, off the uh, – off the initial, uh, I guess, eye test from what you saw from K-State and what you've seen from Texas Tech so far this season. But I like K-State to get it done, 31-24. The name of the game to me, and what is not only going to be the deciding factor in this game, but uh, for the remainder of Kansas State's games, consistency. Got to have that consistency from the offensive line. Got to have that consistency from Adrian Martinez. I think K-State... Might not have as explosive of an offensive output from Adrian Martinez here in this game, but he's shown to not be one that has turned the ball over this year. And with what I've seen from Donovan Smith, a little bit more of a uh, of a risk there. I think a big turnover is what is going to separate these two uh, these two evenly matched teams. Two teams playing some pretty good football right now, and with uh, with Texas Tech coming into Manhattan, I don't think that there's a team. Uh, right now in the Big 12 that has probably been as battle-tested uh, with what I you know I mentioned. This is going to be their fourth-ranked team in five games that they've played at, at kickoff. So they've played some really tough competition here throughout uh, throughout their early part of their schedule. And uh, K-State's going to have to have a good effort. Uh, no, no doubt about it. It's a, it's a team that is certainly able to, uh, to spring an upset over K-State. But I like the Cats, 31-24. Uh, to move to 2-0 and in Big 12 play. A couple final notes here. Fire away. Um, against Texas, you're familiar with Bill Connolly, S&P Plus. Yeah. He does his post-game win expectancy sort of things where <clears throat> he feeds the stats into a machine, the scenarios into a machine, and he says, looking at all of the raw numbers, here's the odds that the team, that a that particular won, team the, won the game. Yeah. Texas Tech against Texas, 2% post-game win expectancy. That's incredible yeah. that, that, you, that you feed that scenario, those, those numbers into the computer. It says Texas Tech wins two times out of 100. Um, another interesting point about Texas Tech and their, their relatively young season so far, against NC State, Texas Tech outgained NC State 353 yards for Texas Tech to just 270 yards for NC State. The difference in the game, four turnovers for the Red Raiders. One was on a muff punt and then three interceptions for Donovan Smith. Um, and so stuff like that, I mean, it's it's hard for the Texas Tech defense to say, listen, we held them to 270 yards. Yeah, we, we held up our end of the bargain. We had a turnover, 
but brutal special teams and uh, turnovers for the offense, uh, you know, leaves Texas Tech looking at a, a two-score loss against NC State. And so that's kind of the recipe, I think, that K-State will try to follow on Saturday, where K-State offense knows it needs to put up somewhere in the range of at least 30 points uh, to feel good about their chances. And then it's playing good assignment sound defense and uh, limiting the big plays and being opportunistic when Donovan Smith inevitably uh, makes a pass he should. Should be a great crowd. Uh, looks like it's going to be a beautiful day in Manhattan. I know there were less than 1,000 tickets available, uh, some singles, some standing room only uh, into that mix. Should be a great crowd for an 11 a.m. kickoff at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. And uh, they're going to be needed uh, to be kind of that 12th man again. K-State, I thought, had, has had some great crowds uh, so far this season, maybe in some conditions where it hasn't been as, as nice outside. Uh, should have really an, uh, a beautiful day for a football game and should be a high-quality uh, game between two Big 12 foes. So let's go ahead and uh, take a quick break. We've got more for you here on what is an incredible episode of the Short Side Option Podcast. We're going to be back with this week's Wildcat legend, and answer your questions and ask the icon. Join us after a quick break. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. You're listening to the icon in Delhi. And we are now entering the segment of the show we call This Week's Wildcat Legend. And icon, this week's Wildcat Legend hails from Mandeville, Louisiana. All right. Where he played under coach Guy Lecomte. In high school, he rushed for 1,700 yards and 22 touchdowns while hauling in 31 passes for 321 yards his senior season. He was an honorable mention All-State pick by the Louisiana Sports Writers Association and named the New Orleans Player of the Week following a 213-yard performance against Parkway, which I'm sure you remember. Mm -hmm. Accounting for nearly 700 yards from scrimmage and eight touchdowns as a junior. Okay? Okay. His parents' names... Are Charles and Zandra. Okay. He played at Kansas State. First year, true freshman season, 2012. He redshirted. Got Second it. year, 2013. He did not see any game action. In 2014, started cooking. Who are we talking about here? Dilo, I think you're talking about. None other than Charles Jones. Icon? You absolutely nailed it. How about that? Big number 24, Charles Jones, the 5'10", 208-pound running back from Manville, Louisiana. And uh, like I said, he, he really started cooking in 2014, his redshirt sophomore year, where he played in all 13 games, rushed for 540 yards and 13 touchdowns on 133 attempts. A uh, little bit more of a quiet season. He had 11 of his 13 rushing touchdowns out of the Wildcat formation. So he was uh, he was called upon there. Absolutely. He opened the season with uh, eight touchdowns in his first four games, where he scored a career high three against UTEP. I want you to remember that. Yeah, absolutely. And two apiece against Stephen F. Austin and Iowa State. Uh, moving on to 2015, his redshirt junior season. Played in all 13 games, led the team with 696 rushing yards on 142 carries, averaged 73, a little over uh, 73 yards per carry over the final seven games, 
um, rushed for 75 or more yards four times, including a then-career high of 122 yards at Texas in 2015, and became the school's 27th career 1,000-yard rusher during the Texas Tech game. Had two touchdowns against TCU and Iowa State, caught 12, for 100, caught 12 passes for 139 yards on the season, including a 72-yard reception at Oklahoma State, which we all remember. Uh, his reception against the Cowboys was the longest by a K-State running back since 2000. Probably Josh Scobie. Probably, yeah. Uh, but in 2016... Could have been Donnie Anders, though, too, I guess. Uh, yeah, possibly. Yeah, could have been. Uh, going into the 2016 season, he was on the preseason watch list for the Dope Walker Award. He played in all 13 games with 12 starts, set career highs in yards and carries against Texas Tech in 2016. 128 yards on 19 carries. He scored one of his two touchdowns on the season against Texas Tech. Uh, in addition to just lambasting the Red Raiders, he had 81 yards on the ground against Texas, 70 against Oklahoma State, and tied his career high with four receptions at Stanford for 39 yards in the loss in Palo Alto. On his career, though, uh, Played in 39 career games, 12 starts. Uh, all 12 of his starts came in his final year. Uh, he finished tied for 8th in school history in career yards per carry at 4.7. 13th on the all-time list in career rushing yards. Uh, one of 28 players in school history to, to record 2,000 all-purpose yards. He had almost 2,200. And had 344 receiving yards ranked 14th in school history among running backs and helped the 2016 senior class earn a 32-20 record, including two bold victories during his campaign at Kansas State. Uh, but what we're here for, of course, career high against Texas Tech, uh, 128 yards on 19 carries, huge game for Mr. Jones in 2016. Well said. I mean, when I look back at Charles Jones's uh, career, you look at what he did against Texas Tech, and that's why he's this week's Wildcat legend. I don't think there's any question about it. But when he was going up against Texas Tech, the Red Raiders were trying to figure out how to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. And, they, and they had a tough time doing it. 128 yards uh, against Texas Tech in his senior year. 99 against the Red Raiders in 2015. A game I was at, by the way. Wild game uh, against the, the Red Raiders down in Lubbock. And then, uh, you know, and, and then in his uh, 2014 year, 65 yards. I mean, a guy that just ate up Texas Tech Red Raiders' rush defense. And, uh, you know, I look here, 19 carries for 128 yards and a touchdown against Texas Tech in his final uh, matchup against the Red Raiders. I think Deuce Vaughn could probably do a little bit more than that. What do you think? We'll see. I mean, I'll take 19 for 128 uh, on Saturday from uh, from Deuce, but uh, certainly a number Charles Jones put up against the Red Raiders. And, you know, just uh, when you look back, you, you just think he's another in a, in a long, celebrated line of, of great Kansas State running backs. And uh, great running backs under Kansas State offensive coordinator Dana Dimmel. Now, I mentioned earlier that he got one of his uh, – Earliest games, one of his earliest touchdowns against the Miners out of yeah, Texas, it, El Paso. Three of them. Where Dana Dimmel 
now the head his coach. offensive coordinator is now the head coach. Yeah, how about that? And where Charles Jones now is an offensive quality control analyst. It all comes full circle here. How do you like that? It all comes full sh- circle here on the Short Side Option Podcast. Charles Jones, great running back, and now kind of a far-off branch on the Bill Snyder coaching tree. How about that? The legend. That's right. That's what that's what they call him. Yep. The whole thing can wait. But what can't wait is our recognition of Charles Jones. It's this week's Wildcat legend. Now, Icon, we're going to go ahead and get into our final segment on the show. The segment we hear at the Short Side Option call Ask the Icon, where listeners can submit their questions to the Short Side Options very own Chris the Icon Sork, and he'll answer them. And you can do that by submitting them to us on Twitter, which is the traditional way to do it, by tweeting them at us at TSSO underscore podcast, or by using the wildly popular hashtag Ask the Icon. Or if there's a birthday cake, if it's the Icon or Mai's birthday, go ahead, and if you happen to know the baker, have him write the question on the birthday cake. Go ahead and surprise us. Nothing's off limits. We'll sing the song, we'll blow out the candles, and then we'll uh, make a note of what's on the cake, and we'll read it on the air, and yeah. we'll answer the question. And we'll certainly eat the cake. <laughs> no question about that. Call, they call you the icon. What they don't call you is somebody who leaves cake. Birthday cake behind. No, no. Certainly not not the case there, Deli. Well, our first question this week comes from listener Trim at Trim Goema. Trim asks... How old were you when you were no longer entertained by rapidly flipping a light switch on and off? And we got a couple questions about. Yeah, that. you know this has been a, a a hot topic. Also, too, the 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 guy running the lights at Oklahoma, also the PA announcer, because apparently I don't. I've been to plenty of games at Oklahoma, and I don't remember them doing this little wrinkle. Is after a first down, where the um, the PA announcer will yell "Boomer" and crowd will answer it sooner but there's and there is a clip of it that I, I came across where you know after a first down Oklahoma gets right to that line of scrimmage and, and they're looking to go again and uh, right when <laughs> right when the announcer says boomer is when they're <laughs> not quite ready to snap the ball yet but uh, after that uh, the, the thunderous boomer that comes from uh, the PA system that right guard gets a little, a little antsy, and he he, he fires out, yeah. and uh, you know maybe that contributes a little bit to uh, some pre-snap penalties there for the Sooners. Uh, but in terms of Trim's question here about uh, when when flickering the lights on off, I want to say I grew out of that about seven. I, I know that you still find that wildly fascinating. I think it's fun. You think it's very cool. I think it's cool and fun and. A little bit funny. And so, yeah, I, I do it quite often. You know, it's hard on your lights. It's hard on the... That's what they say. It's hard on the light bulbs. That's what they're there for. They go on, they go off. It's fun. I uh, I don't really... I think it's kind of stupid. <laughs> the It's annoying to watch on TV. Well, I know, um, I know that there were a couple times, like, we're ready for play, and they're flashing those lights off and on, and now, granted, we're not able to maybe see it as well on, on TV... But you saw Ty Zittner getting yeah. kind of upset. Yeah, exactly. Like, guys, guys, enough, enough with this sideshow. Yeah, we're here to play football, not have a strobe light party. Right, and God help you if you're epileptic. I and I mentioned that, you know, like, and I listened to a podcast with Tim Fitzgerald uh, the other day. He's like, I can't turn on anything on Apple TV or Netflix that has like a, a seizure warning. You know, before the show saying, oh, there's 
you know, sudden lights or yeah. you know, something like that, that if you're epileptic, maybe, maybe press skip on this one. Uh, I, is there some sort of waiver that you have to sign to be able to go to these games? thousand people in a stadium. Like, shoot, guys. <laughs> Odds are there's what? I mean, Jerry Kill? Yeah. I mean, that would be an issue. I mean, legitimately, like, oh, kind of kidding aside here. But, yeah, hey, I guess uh, I guess it's a-okay if they're doing it, I suppose. But uh, I, I've seen in, you know, these it, it kind of the, the LED strobe light effects – that kind of got started a little bit in, in baseball, like after home runs. Mm-hmm. You know that that the home team would would do that. Um, I don't know if that has such a place in football, where you know, in, in a game where you might be scoring, you know, seven, eight, nine times, where you you have that instance go off. I don't know, but uh, certainly something that neat I, in person. Maybe it's just that if. You're one of the sooner faithful. You're saying, Delhi icon, you guys just don't understand. Because it's not meant for the TV viewers. It's meant for the people in the stadium. And it's really neat for the people in the stadium. Maybe so. Maybe so. But, uh, yeah, I think I think it's kind of stupid. Uh, at least watching on TV. What I do think is cool is, I thought their like, little end of third quarter light show, I, when they dim it all out, they paint the stadium, when it, they flash yeah, it red. Yeah. I think that's cool. I, I think that's kind of neat, um, but the bananas. I know Nebraska does that too. Yeah, like I, I, that's atmospheric and kind of cool. But the <laughs> flashing it on and off, like I, I think that's kind of stupid. Um, in any event, thank you to Trimgo Ema. Um, we'll next go to hashtag Tangang at KSU underscore Funny Thirty Three on Twitter. Tangang asks. Hey, Icon, how do you feel about Climb's choice to play the game at 11 a.m. on Saturday? And if you got to pick, what time would you go with? Really good question. Uh, Because that kind of caught a little bit of notoriety here this week with it being an 11 o'clock game on ESPN+. I was not quite aware of this, but because the game's not on a network necessarily where, you know, a traditional network like Fox or Where they have a specified window. Yeah, you can... Pick whatever time you want. I mean, as far as I know, you could pick, like, if you wanted to go at, like, 4.30, a non-traditional window, yeah, you could do that. Um, so, really, the world's your oyster in terms of uh, what... 8 a.m. Well, that's an awful early kickoff. <laughs> uh, but I remember one time we played Colorado. I want to say it was about 2007. Yeah, and that like was 8 like, o'clock. And that was, like, an 8, yeah, 8, 8.15 kickoff, and that was... A little, but that was the, that was on ESPN, so that was a um, and we whipped him and we we uh, we rolled it up on Hawk there, yeah, poor guy. Uh, but anyway, back to the question. One, I was not aware that it was up to the home team to to necessarily designate that bad bad this week. And then for me, I would say, you know, I'd be honest with you, eleven o'clock has really grown on me as a kickoff time especially coming from Kansas City. It makes an early morning, but you're able to get back home at a decent time, able to watch the rest of college football that takes place in the night window and maybe catch the end of some of those 2.30 games. So I like the 11 o'clock. My personal favorite, though, is still 2.30. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I kind of understand. It's a little bit double-edged there because on the one hand, there's if you're looking for a 
actual advantage in the game, especially against a team that's got some travel. Early's probably better. Um, yeah. Just kind of, you know, the coaches are psychopaths. They look for any kind of marginal advantage, real or not, that they can get. And so from that kind of theory, that's probably the rationale, is that it's a road game, make the team that just got finished traveling get up and get going early and, and play the game. On the other hand, makes hosting recruits kind of hard. That was what I was going to get to. That yeah. uh, I forget what is that linebacker out of Arizona. I think his name's like Tate Brown. He, uh, I may be referring, I may have gotten that completely wrong, but the linebacker out of Arizona is supposed to be on an official visit this week. But he's got Friday night football. I thought it was. I thought it was against Missouri where that uh, that reared its head. Well, that too. Oh yeah. Okay. And, but but I know that an official visit had to get canceled this week because. It's hard to get to Manhattan, you know, uh, 12 hours after your game ends. Sure. And that's just one of the problems with uh, yeah. being where we are. And so from that perspective, it's <clears throat> not ideal. On the other hand, uh, I'm not faulting it. As, as a fan, I don't really care. I think it's fine. I don't mind 11 a.m. games. But, uh, and there's probably some... I, I get the rationale for wanting Tech to play early. You know, and Kleiman has said that he doesn't like the guys sitting around the hotel because they all stay at a hotel, and I believe it's the Hilton Garden Inn where where they all uh, bunk up the night before. It used to be uh, the Holodome over there on the uh, Yeah, the so West the guys can play some ping pong, mini golf. Look at the very cool Big 12 banners. Mm-hmm. I always love those. Yeah. Let me go swimming. If they want. I remember I ran into Ron Prince the night, uh, the the morning of, uh, two thousand seven, KU. He was a big guy. He I could hardly get by, by him in the stairway, but uh, anyway, Jordy burned Talib. He he beat Talib. Uh, I look at the eleven o'clock is fine. Probably now my second favorite game time, uh, outside of two thirty. So there you go. Well, and two thirty is always a little inconvenient. Yeah, for a number of reasons. Mostly the dentist. Yeah, that, and I've had a can- I can't tell you how many appointments I've had to cancel or postpone uh, due to that. So hey, it, maybe you're able to make the eleven thirty, or maybe you're able to make the eleven o'clock game. Swing Those, over to your local dentist, and then still make it to the dentist. Yeah. Time. Hopefully, if things work out. Uh, next question comes from listener K Statriot at K Statriot on Twitter. Uh, K-State Trade asks, how badly would Adrian have beaten that Boyd cheerleader? I mentioned this. On the 55-yard run, there's a little bit of John going on there. I mean, I can only imagine. We talked about that run where he's got smirk on his face as he's you know, running t- towards that, uh, that end zone pylon. To get up and see some guy chirping at you. Are you <laughs> kidding me? Yeah. Like, And then on the previous... Touchdown drive. Oklahoma scores, and their player makes the bow. Adrian Martinez, after he rumbles in, returns the favor. He actually mentioned that it it uh, was paying homage to a former Nebraska teammate and one of his best buds back in Nebraska. I think it was in the one game uh, Nebraska won against uh, North Dakota, I believe, where he, he got in the game and he, he did the same t- kind of celebration. So maybe a bit of a tip of the hat there, maybe a, a little bit of a, a shot across the bow there at Oklahoma too. Across uh, the bow. So 
Pun intended. Uh, but uh, you look at that. It's just part of the game. Just, just a little bit of chirping on the sideline. You know what it reminded me of? What's that? 2000 Nebraska. Pass to Quincy, oh, yeah, yeah, pass yeah, yeah. To Quincy over the middle. And he's kind of slip and sliding on the on the winter conditions. Yeah. And the uh, Nebraska he, and, and he takes a beeline right towards yeah. him. Too. Yeah. And there's a great video. I think Martez Wesley like giving a woo right there too after they they uh, they pile back and, and they end up going for two there I believe. Uh, but um, anyway, kind of full circle there. Nebraska, Adrian Martinez. It all comes together there. Yeah. How about oh, that? Poetic. Uh, for our next question, we're going to go to a listener, uh, Wolf, the Lone Star Wolf. Uh, and he has a uh, baseball question for the icon. Oh, he, and he hops into the mix here. Yeah, LSW asks, who wins the National League Eastern Division? Well, right now you got the Braves trailing the Mets by one game. Big, big, big weekend series down in Atlanta. I'm going to be paying close attention to that as a fan of baseball. I think the Mets do enough to hold on, and uh, they take two out of three against the Bravos in Atlanta. I will say this, though. Whether or not Atlanta gets in and and whether or not the Mets get in as a division winner or as a wild card, two teams that I think have uh, certainly World Series aspirations with both the Mets and and the Dodgers – or and the – in the Braves, obviously the Dodgers uh, are a complete juggernaut over there in the National League. I, I'm giving a slight edge to the Mets here as we enter, enter the uh, final week of the season, but uh, certainly a great division race uh, that I'll be keeping my eye on. Thank you for that, uh, Lone Star Wolf. Next questioner comes from listener Nashville Nick at N Leland W on Twitter. I'm gonna. Ask this like our friend out uh, in Rocky Top would ask it if he were here right now. Hey, Icon, what were your thoughts on the LED light show in Norman? Personally, I like it for when introducing the teams, but the use on third and fourth down during timeouts was infuriating me. I think we agree with... with uh, we already answered this question. We, we agree with our friend out there in Rocky Top. Why is he asking? We already answered this. Well, maybe he didn't know that... You're kind of beside yourself. You're kind of infuriated right now. I am. It's redundant. Well, we're yeah. trying to have a show here. And we but, get these yokels out in Tennessee asking us questions. We've already answered. The, the yeah. icon's already answered. Yeah. I guess it is kind of redundant, I suppose. But we agree, though. Kind of, kind of infuriating. It's infuriating. Almost as infuriating as that question. We continue. Our final question this week comes from listener Imarica at Tyla the Great. Imarica asks, ran out of pigeons. Regarding the light show and PA guy, do you believe that type of behavior was a precondition for the SEC to allow OUN early? I think the folks in the Southeastern Conference might look at that with a little bit of disdain. Well, I don't know. I mean, Alabama does it. Uh, I believe Arkansas does it as well. Uh, maybe maybe they'll fit just right in then. Who knows? Maybe it is a precondition. It's just stupid. It's you know you. It's kind of just the product of teams having tens of millions of dollars that they don't really know what so to do with. You know what? These lights, yeah, they're fine, but they don't change colors. Yeah. We need 
We need something Let's change drop. this color. And then we can turn on and off at the drop of a hat. Yeah, let's drop 1.5, whatever, how many millions of dollars. Uh, because we're we're already paying our coach $10 million. We can't really put any in there. We have the best weight room and all this in the country. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's just excess. I think it's, it's just wealth that you just don't really need. But, um, yeah, I think it's... Uh, Kind of a symptom of, of where we're at that we're getting these extravagant uh, stuff like fancy lights uh, when there's when they score touchdowns that and elements of the game that really can kind of be detri- detrimental to your team. Yeah, I mean, and, and you talk about the PA announcer. I'll I'll see if I can find that clip where uh, where that that offensive guard is is kind of looks up and he's like, "What's going on here?" You know, like. This has happened a couple times now that we're. You what, know, what's, we need, this should, should be a home field advantage for us. All the, uh, you know, we heard for years that OU fans just crying about, oh, ESPN puts us on 11 a.m. games so much, blah, or Fox. We always get Fox, all these national broadcasts, but they're all at 11 a.m. They put Nebraska, Oklahoma at 11 a.m. Well, Oklahoma, you got your 7 p.m. Fox game, baby. And what do you do? You screw it up with. <laughs> Delays of game and uh, pre-snap penalties, but you know what? At least you got to get your phone out and be part of the uh, light show. The Phil Collins display. Big fan of Phil Collins. We like. I really like his work as part of Genesis. No, yeah, I think it's where he did some of his best work. I do too. I did too. Some of that new new wave stuff really is something that I particularly enjoy. I like to listen to it right before a nice dinner at Dorcia. As do I. Yeah. Now, I know you have a trouble getting a reservation. Not the case for me, though. You've been to Dorsey? I have. And, and, and I can also... Get over here real quick. Check out that business card. Wow. This is pretty fancy. Very wow. nice. That's, that's very nice. Now, does it, does it match up with Paul Allen's? I, <laughs> I'd rather not talk about that. I wish. But... Uh, Maybe I'll get a new business card here, maybe for next week. Maybe some nice glossy laminate that, that, uh, work there. That'd be very nice. Maybe a nice watermark. Icon, any final thoughts before we, we sign off? I want to go back to one thing, and I mentioned this in my prediction. I think it comes down to consistency here for Kansas State. Um, and I think that's where K-State wins this game against Texas Tech. Consistency with Adrian Martinez has a – I mean – an incredible game against Oklahoma. Gets all the national love that he's gotten. Can he back it up here a week later against what has been a battle-tested and pretty salty Texas Tech team? That's going to be the issue, and that's going to be the question. I, don't, I shouldn't say so much the issue, but that's the question that I think a lot of K-State fans have in their mind, and uh, I can't wait to see what uh, what Saturday uh, brings brings for Kansas State and, and uh, what not only Saturday brings, but the rest of the season brings for Kansas State. Well said, and I want to echo kind of what we said last week when we were sad about Tulane. You're never as good as you think you are. You're never quite as bad as you sure. think you are. And, sure. you know, last week we thought, boy, how are we ever going to get to six wins? How are we ever going to yeah. get to a bowl game? <laughs> yeah. And this week we're thinking, if you, squint, right. if you, if you squint, there's a chance where K-State wins the rest of their games and come December, who knows? You know? Sure. Um, and again, like we said last week, probably.
probably somewhere in the middle. We're, we're probably not going to see an offense as, as efficient as we saw on Saturday. Um, and we're, we're probably not going to see an offense as, as inefficient as we saw against Tulane. Uh, I mentioned earlier turnovers. K-State's only had one turnover for so far this year. There's only uh, four teams, I believe three or four teams in the country that have fewer turnovers that haven't turned it over yet. There's only 12 teams in the country that have only turned it over once. K-State's kind of due. Yeah. Um, so don't be surprised this week if the offense looks like it regresses a little bit and doesn't quite put on the same show that we saw against Oklahoma. Because, again, Texas Tech's front front line is, is pretty darn good. But uh, K-State is also due for a few miscues. Um, and so if, if that happens, don't be shocked. Don't say, where did that Oklahoma offense go? Because that's just kind of how it goes. That's how college football ebbs and flows. And some weeks you look great, and some weeks you look bad, and no better example than the last two weeks. Um, now, that said, I think the actual offense, what, what K-State's actual average or, or median offense looks like this year is, is probably good enough to beat Texas Tech. Um, and so I just want to throw a little bit of caution uh, before we play the Red Raiders and, and remind our, our listeners that uh, just because we, we came out and put on a show against Oklahoma doesn't necessarily mean it's smooth sailing, and, and all of a sudden, K-State's going to be putting up 41 points a game. Two rapid fire for you. Yes. LSW, Lone Star Wolf, he, um, he asked me a question today, point blank. Gun to your head. Who do you think wins the Big 12? <sighs> point, uh, sorry, rapid fire. Uh, I'll say Oklahoma State. Okay. I said Kansas State. I like it. I also think that this is kind of a fun week here in the Big 12. I think there's some really good games throughout we can talk. This about. week will tell us a lot. We talked about K-State, uh, Texas Tech here. We've, we've given our predictions uh, for that matchup. Oklahoma State-Baylor hooking up in, in a game that uh, matches two top uh, 25 teams with Oklahoma State going on the road to kick off their conference uh, opener. Let's get your predictions here. Oklahoma at TCU. I think Oklahoma writes the ship covers. I agree. Oklahoma State at Baylor. Uh, I think Oklahoma State wins on the road. I think Oklahoma State... I haven't seen anything out of them that suggests they're not the best team in the conference. I like Baylor. Iowa State in Lawrence against undefeated KU. I think this is a very, very interesting game. I, I, I uh, I've watched four full KU games this year. Um, their offense is going to face their toughest... Uh, their toughest test when it comes to Iowa State's defense. Very interesting game. Well, there's one big question with, with KU's offense that I haven't been able to answer myself yet. And it's, yes, Jalen Daniels is very good. Yes, they're running backs. Devin Neal and High Shaw and look down the list, Sevion Morrison. What um, Jalen Daniels able to do in the run game? Yeah, I mean, it's they, they have some pieces there. I think the receivers are are decent enough that Skinner guy's pretty good, Lawrence Arnold. Um, now, what I haven't talked about is the offensive line. Because the offensive coordinator for Kansas has kind of removed that from the equation for him. Yep. Um, you see a lot of quick hitters from Daniels, a lot of RPO action, where it's, through four games, it's, it's pretty revolutionary that you have Jalen Daniels putting up the numbers that he's putting up behind an offensive line that, I'm sorry, that offensive line isn't good. And they haven't 
they haven't particularly been good this year, but they haven't been asked to do anything. And theoretically, if an offensive coordinator is able to scheme that near half the offense yeah. out of the game and, and be putting up the kind of numbers that he has and the efficiency that Jalen Daniels has operated with, um, I have to think that there's a defensive coordinator out there who can figure out a way to stop it. And when you think of cutting-edge defensive teams in the Big 12, kind of the... The poster child for that. Well, the standard bearer for, yeah. for Big 12 schemes, it's Iowa State. Charlie Heacock. Yeah. And so I'll be fascinated to see what the uh, KU offense looks like against Iowa State because if KU's offense goes out and puts up 35 or 40 points against Iowa State, then all bets are off because I don't know that there's a defense in the, in the conference that will be able to solve this, to crack this nut. And so, uh, now, I think Iowa State will... Uh, my, my prediction is that Iowa State can do it, and they hold KU somewhere in the range of 20, 20 to 25 points. And if that's the case, I don't... If, if KU's not scoring 30 points a game, I don't think they're going to win very many games because the defense is pretty leaky. Uh, but I think that contest in Lawrence on Saturday is going to be a fascinating one and uh, will tell us a lot about kind of the trajectory of, of what KU is going to do the rest of the season. So you like Iowa State there? I do. I, li- I like Iowa State. I think Iowa State figures out the KU offense and uh, brings them back down to earth a little bit. I like Iowa State as well. The uh, nightcap of the Big 12. Matchup of 2-2 two and two in 0-1 teams. 2-2 two and two overall, 0-1 oh in the Big 12. West Virginia makes the trek down to the 40 acres to take on Texas. How do you see that one going out? Boy, you, you, my gut says Texas. But you know Texas's record against Big 12 teams in the last, like, 10 games? <coughs> Can't be good. They're like 1-8. Uh, they, they've, they've lost 8 of their last 9 against Big 12 teams. And unfortunately... And that includes Kansas. That includes... Uh, you know, I know who that. I know who one of those wins is. Yes, and, and their only win was against a team playing with one hand tied behind behind its back, Will yeah. Howard. And so it's, you know, Texas had a really rough season last year. But if I'm a Texas fan watching Steve Sarkeesian, it's like, when's it gonna start, buddy? Yeah, because you know that that game on Saturday, and you can hand wash it away and say, oh, Tech. They went for it on fourth down so much. They kind sure of just yoloed it, yeah. and we had a 98, 98 so what, Yeah. yeah. Um, but my word, we, this Longhorn team needs to start winning some Big 12 games, or else they're going to find themselves at 5-7 and seven at the end of the season again. And what Left you, with more questions. What do you do? Uh, yeah. Exactly. What do you do with Arch Manning coming in, and, and do you still have all the faith in the world in, in Sarkeesian? And I don't know. But I'll, I'll pick Texas just because... I don't think West Virginia's defense is very good, yeah. but uh, boy, it's I'm plugging my nose a little bit there just based on their record in conference games. I, I agree with you. I like Texas in that one. We agree on all of the games except for that uh, that Big Two Thirty matchup on yeah. Fox, and that'll be a hell of a game. This is the most stacked Big Twelve slate I can remember. Uh, in terms of five games, and all of them have intrigue. Well, and you know what? I think that's a, uh, a factor of is how. How good this league is from yeah. top to bottom. Uh, you know, you could in years past you could say, uh, okay, you that that one's a, a well. Game. That's really the difference, yeah, right? In, exactly. in Texas Tech too. 
and, and even Iowa State, I mean, Iowa State's been good now for some time. But, you know, back in the 2015-2016 type yeah, stuff. You, uh, you looked at that one as an, easy, as an easier opposition. This year in the Big 12, I mean, gosh. There's no real albatross there, uh, you know. You look at what you look at what the Big Twelve is now, and I I hate to even start talking about what December might look like and what the playoff is. There there's a very good chance that you might have a nine and three, two teams at nine and three playing the Big Twelve title. Yeah, or 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 two teams that uh you know. Heck, I wouldn't be surprised to see an eight and four overall team that that has three losses in in, in conference play being there. I think that would be a little bit of an outside shot, but with how top to bottom this this league is in terms of quality teams, quality coaches up and down that lineup, no easy sledding this this year in the Big Twelve. Yeah, um, for if you had to look at your tea leaves here and say what result helps K-State the most out of Baylor and Oklahoma State. Uh, I would say I would say Oklahoma State winning that game and getting Baylor a loss just because we do play Oklahoma State at home. Uh, Oklahoma State's been a tough team for us. Uh, you know, we haven't had a whole lot of success uh, against them. Uh, 0-3 under Chris Kleiman yeah. uh, with, uh, with this new era of Kansas State football. I might look at that. As maybe a, a more favorable outcome, but Baylor showed me a lot last week going out there. They they won, I think it was thirty one twenty four against Iowa State in Ames. That they I think they led thirty one fourteen going in the fourth quarter. That that was a game that maybe looks a little bit closer than the finals, or it, the final score makes it look a little bit closer than it truly was. Baylor looks really good, I think. Oklahoma State. I'm a. I'm not quite as sold on them as you are. I admittedly haven't seen a ton of Oklahoma. Well, they State they yet. haven't played a particularly no. hard schedule, but they've run roughshod over everyone. So it's like, they, until I see them look mortal, I'm. Uh, it's hard for me to say they're not. Okay. They're the best. Well, that takes us around the Big Twelve here. Great episode of the Short Side Option Podcast. We'll be back next week uh, to uh, review this game against Texas Tech and look forward to. Uh, K-State's matchup against those Iowa State Cyclones as uh, the Cyclones get a little bit of a, a Sunflower State dip here. Yeah. They, they go to uh, Lawrence, and then they welcome Kansas State to Ames. So, a lot to talk about. We'll be here to break it down all next week on the big, uh, in, throughout the Big 12 and uh, look at here at what K-State has uh, going into a big matchup in Ames. That'll do it here for us on this episode of the Short Side, op- uh, short side Option. It's the icon. It's Deli. Signing off until next time. Thanks for listening, and go Cats!